the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, October 7th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be previewing next week's budget. This will be Michael Noonan's fifth as Minister for Finance and his final one before the general election. So will it be a giveaway and what goodies should taxpayers expect? To tease out these issues and more with me are Arthur Beasley, Economics Editor of the Irish Times, Economist John Fitzgerald, formerly of the ESRI and columnist with the Irish Times, and Stephen Collins, Political Editor of the Irish Times. Arthur Beasley, will start with you, what is Michael Noonan planning for us? Well, uh, it's well ventilated at this point, Kieran, that the government is planning a, a package of up to 1.5 billion, and I think they will go right to 1.5 billion, but no further for political reasons, because Michael Noonan and indeed Enda Kenny and others around them have made a virtue of the fact that they are not going to, as they would put it, lose the run of themselves, and they're going to keep the package at that particular limit. But there will be supplementary budgets before the year end uh, for the health department, also for transport and in education. So it's not quite as simple as saying, look, this is just a 1.5 billion package. Some of those supplementary budgets will be added into the base next year, and that means that the depart- that those departments will have more money than Michael Doonan is going to give them on budget day. Okay, so break down the 1.5 billion. Uh, What will be tax cuts and what will be spending? The decision of the government is that the package will be divided equally between tax measures and spending measures. Now, the significance of that politically is that that decision was taken at a time when the government was going into talks with the public sector unions on a new pay deal. And by limiting the expenditure measures to half of the available package, They were essentially sending a signal to the public sector unions that there would be a a constraint in terms of what was going to be available to them Mm. for pay purposes. So in a nutshell, you're talking 750 on the spending side, 350 million of which has already been allocated to pay and 750 million for tax cuts. Okay, so it's 400 million euro for everything else, essentially. Yes. Strip out pay. Yes. And the the bids, as I understand it, came in at uh, something close to 5 billion. Right. Okay, Stephen Collins, uh, we might bring you in here. There's a political reality to all of this. Um, how is he going to square the circle, if you like, uh, in the sense that the, the various departments want five billion uh, for themselves in, in spending increases, and he's only got four hundred million to give away. Well, I think departments always want far more than they are going to get and they always uh, produce these spending plans and I think governments down the years have found this whole process uh, difficult to cope with. Uh, But government spending is not going to deal with all the pent-up demand that's there and particularly the Department of Health. I think the Department of Health is always over budget uh, and it will be again and the health will be soaking up as much of the available resources uh, as are there. Um, Basically, I think it's a question of managing expectations. Um, I think the government will try and sell the the reductions in tax, the, the reductions in the USC, I think they'll be focused strongly on the USC. Um, this universal social charge. Universal social charge. Which there, is uh, pretty much hated by everybody, I think. It is hated, but I mean, people hate paying tax. I mean, what, I mean that, tax that, that's loved. Is, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit like the water charges. People say the government made an appalling mess of the whole water thing. Well, bringing in a water charge, people, nobody's mm. going to like it. Uh, mm. So you start from a position, it's not going to be popular, and you can make it worse by incompetence and, uh, and, and all of that. Uh, but basically, the government is going to try, I think, and sell itself on 
that it has brought about or presided over an economic recovery uh, and that basically if you want the recovery to continue uh, you have to you better vote for the same government in the upcoming election um, whether or not the voters will give them thanks for that is another question uh, because uh, one of the, uh, the refrains coming back from TDs is people aren't seeing it in their pockets yet I don't think people will really ever see it in their pockets in the sense that uh, somebody in this building uh, was talking to me about their paycheck back in 2008 and how much tax uh, has been taken out of it now by comparison with then. Well, by comparison with 2008, uh, the giveaway is going to be pretty tiny. Uh, so I think it's a question of getting uh, the, the electorate in general to adjust to a reality that there are no big giveaways and there won't be uh, in the years ahead. Um, so uh, Michael Lunan and Enda Kenny, I think, will have, and uh, Joan Burton will have a problem in selling that to the public. Uh, John Fitzgerald, in your column in the Irish Times last month, you argued for a neutral uh, budget, and yet Ireland is the fastest growing economy in Europe, we're told, and the, uh, the the coffer seems to be awash with extra tax revenue. So why, why is this, I mean, why did you call for a neutral budget, and why is the government only focusing on 1.5 billion euro? All right. Um, uh, firstly, um, uh, why a neutral budget? Because the economy is booming, pumping money into an economy that's booming. Um, just it, it could be a waste and that's what got us into the mess we were in the first place um, I don't think that we're anywhere near the kind of problems we had mm. in the last decades but still you shouldn't pump money, money into an economy that's booming however um, as an economist, a neutral budget is one where basically your average tax take doesn't rise, which would mean that you in- index tax bans. Uh, it also means an indexation in excise tax rates um, and an indexation in social welfare uh, rates. Um, so my guess is that about 800 million to a billion of the of the 1.5 billion they're talking about is actually just keeping the show on the road. It's just neutral. So the actual net injection into the economy is probably about 500 million, which is it, it, probably they shouldn't be injecting anything at this stage, but it is not excessive. And it's interesting, the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, which had been very negative on and much more, um, cut, cut more, cut more in the past, actually have basically they're not, they'd prefer they something more cautious but they've yeah. backed off so this is neutral it's not going and what it's going to mean is that the average tax take uh, probably won't change that much but one other element in the budget I would expect that the government will actually do something on the indexation of tax of excise taxes so you with the fall in energy prices that they may well for climate change reasons and for uh, to give them more scope they may raise excise taxes, taxes on petrol, diesel, carbon taxes, things like that, bring in a bit more revenue, which would give them more to spend and still leave them with a net 1.5 billion. Right. Arthur, I was, I was going to ask you to maybe get into some of the specifics. Maybe you could pick up that point. Well, it's interesting that John raises the, the stance of the Fiscal Advisory Council. At a time when the government last year was proposing a neutral budget, the Fiscal Council was saying proceed with a 2 billion retrenchment. And of course, the government proceeded with the 1 billion expansion at the end of the day. Um, I I think all of the attention, you correctly say, Stephen says, will be on the USC. Uh, and I think what they're talking about essentially is a one and a half percentage point cut from the 7% rate on incomes up to €70,000. They're looking at a one percentage cut from the middle band and then a half percentage cut from the lower band. Now, the cutting those top two bands is going to cost roughly €500 million so there's not a whole lot left to do all of the other taxation cuts that are in play, and there are several of them. 
uh, at one level you have uh, you, you have they're going to have to do something in respect of uh, PRSI because there is going to be an increase in the minimum wage and there's a step effect there under which at present the beneficiaries of an increase in the minimum wage would end up seeing the entire benefit go into PRSI. So they realise the political problem there, they have to deal with that. To compensate or to give a sweetener to the employers for increasing the minimum wage, there's going to be some kind of a deduction for the relevant employers in respect of employers' PRSI. Uh, changes promised or changes mooted in respect of inheritance tax. There's the knowledge development box, which is to uh, reduce the corporate taxation on patent income, and Michael Noonan one year ago said he was going to do something for hauliers, truckers in other words, who feel that they've had a mm. pretty bad uh, brunt of it over the over the years of crisis, and he, that's a promise he made a year ago, and all the indications are that he is going to fulfil that promise. And John has suggested there might be some uh, increases in terms of the old reliables and maybe some other uh, measures. What do you I think there's something coming, there probably will be something on, on tobacco, it's hard to see them increasing the, pint, uh, the, the tax on drink uh, in, the, in the mouth of an election, you, you could conceive of people going to the pub to discuss the budget, which is supposed to make them feel happier, and they're there complaining about the increase in price of drink or whatever. But uh, there's no suggestion that they're going to do that. Um, I think as well that they are looking at an increase in the current bank levy, which uh, ordinarily next year would take in 150 million euro. I think that would be seen as a pretty populist move, uh, probably politically savvy, and one which would be, uh, if you like, an easy kill for a government which is uh, on on the road into an election uh, against the backdrop of you know sustained uh, public anger at the amount of money, public money that has gone into the banks. Yeah, John Fitzgerald, what about housing? Because uh, it's a big issue for the a burning issue for the government at the, at the minute, both in terms of social housing, people who are homeless and so forth, but also uh, private sector housing for people who just simply want to get onto the property ladder. But there's a, a huge lack of supply, particularly in Dublin. Yeah, it's a supply problem. So I hope they do absolutely nothing. To, to cut taxes on for, for anybody involved in buying or selling houses. It's a question of the costs. There's a problem with costs and there's a problem with regulation and there's a problem that it's not responding. So those call for microeconomic measures, not um, tax credits or subsidies for people buying houses or whatever. That would be a disaster. So um, I don't know what they're going to do, but there are major problems in the supply side that we're building maybe 12,000 houses this year. We need to build twice that there's no sign that that's going to ramp up next year Um, and there are a lot of regulatory issues now part of the problem there of course are local authorities which the government doesn't control it's the opposition control them and in Dublin the local authorities are making life difficult to build houses not making it easy Right okay but I mean there's talk that levies might be cut development levies might be cut There is a logic providing you don't cut property tax um, that uh, uh, my house in Dundrum is worth 10% more because I live within a kilometre of the Lewis Green Line and Before we had a property tax, I was doing well, but anybody who built a new house in the area had to pay a really big development levy, which was going to pay for the Green-Lewis line. And it wasn't fair that new houses had to pay for it and old didn't. We now have a property tax, so anybody whose property is more valuable because they're near the infrastructure is paying for it. Having development levies on top of that, making uh, new houses pay for infrastructure that everybody is paying their property tax doesn't really make sense. However, the fact that everybody in Dublin is cutting property tax actually takes away from that. But of course, that's not within the government's remit. It's the opposition that have decided to do that. In any sense, they might do something on childcare? For me, I actually wouldn't cut taxes at all. And one of the areas that you would target would be childcare. 
Um, um, uh, but uh, they have a very limited budget to spend uh, on expenditure. They may boost it a little bit by raising some taxes elsewhere. But you're looking at 400 million. A bit will have to go on health. Um, I would anticipate, well, I would assume a neutral budget would say a 1% rise in social welfare pay- payments across the board. Now, people might notice that, so they may decide to do something which makes uh, uh, which makes a bigger mark, I don't know. But you'd expect to send, spend something on social welfare. But they're also, it's also the case that with the return of people to work that the government is ordinarily spending less on welfare because you no longer have as many people on the dole. Th- th- this budget is brought to you by the fallen unemployment. that the, the, During the crisis, w- there was a massive increase in the budget for social welfare. I know social welfare rates were actually cut, but actually the people of Ireland had to massively increase taxes to pay for the banks, but also to pay for a hugely increased welfare budget. The welfare budget has come down very significantly last year, this year and next year, and that's where the government are getting the money to spend. Now, I would prefer to spend a little bit more on welfare and a little, little bit less on tax cuts. Stephen, I, I mentioned uh, talk of a giveaway budget, but it doesn't sound as if we're actually going to get that. And given that we're in election year, uh, is that a bit of a surprise? Or w- what impact do you think that might have on the polls? Well, no, well I think when you come back, we come back to the fundamental point, what do the electorate want? Do they want a government that's going to wreck the economy again? And I think there's a pressure from the opposition and pressures on the media who are utterly oblivious to the, the dangers of going down the road we've travelled before. Uh, I think this government doesn't intend to do it and anyway I think it can't do it because of the European rules which is a great thing the the, the fiscal treaty I think uh, is going to protect us as a nation from ourselves from doing a, a 1977 or uh, a, a, a repeating the 1980s uh, sure, so but people want more money in their pockets yes, as well don't they but they also have to have the exp- if the money is there but they, they, we can't have more we are already borrowing to put money in people's pockets we're still borrowing uh, as a country uh, so I think there has to be an air of realism about what is available uh, and I think the most important thing I'd be looking to uh, looking at this budget for would be competence. Who is competent to run the country? Because, as John was saying, so, so the elements of the opposition uh, when they're running local councils show themselves completely incompetent. You have the absurdity of the, the far left in Ireland uh, wanting to cut tax. And actually, in Cork City Council recently, the only people who wanted to raise property tax were Fine Gael, the so-called right-wing party, were doing uh, what a socialist party would do. Uh, and all the hard left in Sinn Féin were doing what, uh, what are your ultra Tories in, in Britain would do, just cutting tax and to help with the consequences. So I think we, we need to have, have a bit more grown-up politics in this country uh, and, and in the budget and discuss the budget in the light of that rather than simply saying goodies for everybody. OK. Arthur, what about that point of cutting taxes at a time when we're still, uh, you know, we're still borrowing money to service the country? Well, look at, I mean, uh, this is a political act. It's not an economic act uh, in, a, in, in, the pure, in the purest sense of the word. It's not done really. I mean, they say it's done to stimulate activity in the economy, that the unemployment rate, uh, though down uh, quite substantially from the, the very high levels seen at the height of crisis, uh, that unemployment remains around you know, 9.4% last month uh, and that uh, you know, further uh, stimulus is required in the economy to boost activity. Basically, the economic argument is that there's enough momentum in the economy right now to actually to create the jobs that are required and that that kind of stimulus, modest though it is, is not really required. But there is the political dimension to this. We all know an election is on the way. We all know that the burden of taxation on taxpayers uh, has increased quite appreciably since the crash and there is a sense that people uh, are crying out to get something back. 
Yeah, John Fisher, what about that point? Should we not be balancing the budget before we start cutting taxes, giving people money back in, in terms of uh, income taxes? Well, my anticipation is, and I would, I think the government will actually be conservative. They will say they'll come in with a deficit of 1% or maybe slightly above it. I actually think it'll be somewhere between a half and 1% next year. There is an outside chance they could actually balance the books next year and give away a billion and a half. That's an outside possibility. So, and in the following year, with reasonably sensible policies there will be a significant surplus and there ought to be a significant surplus not because we need to repay debt but because the economy is booming and hopefully the building construction sector will be beginning to boom and you don't want to plough money into it so I think the problems of the debt are going to fade away if we continue with it two or three more years like the current And should we be concerned about what's going on globally because obviously the the Chinese economy has come off the boil Uh, some worrying indicators perhaps from the United States recently Um, I think that the government, any government, should be looking at what could go wrong. Now, I think this government is probably only looking at what... The election is the only thing that could go wrong from their point of view at the moment. The outside world, yes, it could become a less pleasant place. But at the moment, even what's happening in China hasn't destabilised things. So Mm. uh, there is a risk. One of the other risks, of course, externally is um, anything which would lead to a substantial rise in interest rates... In the EC, by the ECB. Now, I don't see it in the next two years, but for a very indebted country, that could be a significant problem. And domestically, managing this crisis, um, making the supply in housing work, um, because we need more building construction, that could constrain things. So there's a lot to play for, not necessarily for next year, but for the following two or three years. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Stephen, in terms of housing, there's been some suggestions uh, recently that NAMA might be asked to get involved in it in some way, shape or form. Any sense that that might be coming? Well, the government is considering the housing issue uh, all right. Uh, I have Personally, I haven't f- followed it in detail. I think John is absolutely right, though. Tax incentives are are not what is needed. Uh, and there's no point either uh, trying to put money into the into the pockets of builders. It's, just, it's creating uh, the incentive to build more houses and, and making making it affordable for everybody. Uh, I think the government is going to is considering that. I think there's maybe even having a cabinet meeting before the end of the week uh, to focused on housing. Um, so whether or not they would involve NAMA in, 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 the house, in the housing issue, I just don't know. Right. Arthur, we had the OECD report this week uh, in relation to uh, the taxes that multinationals pay and how this uh, problem should be resolved. Do you expect something in the budget which will signal that our 12.5% corporate tax rate is, is a red line issue for the government or will there be some other 
elements of multinational taxation that might feature? Well, I, I think the government will always be expected to say that the 12.5% rate is a red line issue and is here to say and there's going to be no change. Uh, I'd expect two things on corporate tax. In the first instance, I think uh, Michael Newton will unveil what exactly he means by his uh, knowledge development box, which is a, a fancy way of saying a patent box, which essentially would uh, lower the rate of corporate tax on income from patents, which are held in Ireland. In other words, the companies have be incentivized to move the intellectual property into their Irish operations. At a second level, and you mentioned the BEPS process particularly, I do expect the government to say that it will uh, introduce country-by-country reporting to the revenue here. In other words, that companies which are international companies, big global companies based here, when they make their tax returns to the revenue here, would be obliged to say where exactly the turnover is coming from on a country-by-country basis. I think Ireland will be one of the first countries to do that uh, uh, following the BEPS, but remember that this would be the third budget in succession in which the government has taken uh, quite substantial moves on the corporate tax front. In the budget two years ago, the government removed the stateless tax status availed of by uh, the Apple company, and in the budget last year, it took steps to phase out and ultimately eliminate the double Irish scheme over a period of six years. John, just based on the OECD's work, the BEPS work, would you have any concerns about uh, the future of multinational investment in Ireland? No, I think it is essential that the government tightens up. I think that our reputation, and we live on by our reputation, has been seriously damaged by the funny business going on with companies using Ireland. And that the risk to Ireland of people saying you're a country that's not serious um, is uh, 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 actually was the current governor of the central bank over a decade ago in the previous incarnation used the phrase we need to wean ourselves off our dependence uh, 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 Patrick Conan wean ourselves off our dependence on the corporation tax regime and actually there are companies whom I would like to see taxes raised on so they go away There there are probably about a dozen companies earning huge sums of money in Ireland they pay no tax because under double taxation agreements they're taxable in the UK or elsewhere Um, They employ nobody, they do nothing in Ireland, but we have to pay substantial budgetary contributions to the EU because they're here of up to 100 million. Now, if the government could discourage them from living in Ireland and send them somewhere else, it would be great for us. So this idea that low tax is always good for you, yes, there are real companies in Ireland where it's really important. And talking to some of the serious multinationals who do real things, employ loads of people, have major capital in Ireland, they're actually really upset about this carry-on because it brings... What they're doing is legitimate business at a 12.5% rate and they're important to us, it's important to them. But their reputation, our reputation, has been sullied by companies using Ireland to avoid paying tax anywhere. So I think tightening this up would be a major, a, a major long-term strategic benefit to Ireland. And on that point, is it moral, is it right that companies, large, vast corporations, very profitable ones, uh, only pay 12.5% tax rate when individuals in Ireland pay up to 52%? Um, I think that there is a very substantial benefit to Ireland from the 12.5% rate, that there are are companies in Ireland, a lot of them, employing a lot of people, doing a lot of good business, paying a lot of tax um, at 12.5% rate. So it is valuable to us. But if you look in, in 15 years' time, we need to... Other countries are cutting corporation tax. It's no longer... A selling point for Ireland. Um, we need to wean ourselves, as Patrick Honehan said, wean ourselves off dependence on this over the next decade. So when I hear knowledge boxes and new schemes, I get nervous. 
12.5%, that's the bottom line. Nothing more, nothing less. And in 10 years' time, we need to be selling Ireland, not because of a low tax rate, but because it's a good place to do business. Okay. Stephen, there is an election uh, coming around the corner and there's a sense that the government's going to lay out, potentially lay out its uh, its, its plan if it's re-elected uh, over the next uh, four to five years. What would you expect? Yeah, well, I'd say the budget, I think the government will try and pitch this budget. It's the, it's the last in a series of five, but I think they'll, put, they'll pitch it in the, in the sense of a first in a series of another five, that this is, they've stabilised the economy and now this is where the, where they're going. I think they'll be f- fairly careful in how they do that but they will want to sound optimistic because they want to be re-elected. Um, they don't want to be preaching doom and gloom and I think in the past uh, Fine Gael and Labour have been in government on a number of occasions. A number of times they've actually done a very good job on a number of occasions uh, but they've never managed to win a second term uh, maybe because because they haven't been as profligate with the uh, the nation's finances as, as Fianna Fáil in opposition were or Fianna Fáil in opposition promised uh, this time round, I think they don't have the opportunity anyway. But I th- so I think they will be. They, what they will be, will be promising is stability, uh, and I think that that is very is very important because uh, the, the people who uh, who are offering to be they're not even offering to be in government. This election is going to be unique in the sense the government is looking for re-election, but there's nobody really else offering to be in government because Fianna Fáil are saying they don't want to go into coalition with Fine Gael or Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin don't want to go into coalition coalition with either. Well, they, nobody they, wants to go into coalition with Sinn Féin. Nobody they? nobody else wants to go into coalition with Sinn Féin. Uh, the independents are not a lot of them are not in, interested in, in in government at all. Certainly the hard left. I mean, I talked to to, to one or two of them. They don't believe in the capital system. They want to pull the whole thing down. Uh, so I think this provides the government. I think with 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 a, with a, with a, a really great opportunity of being re-elected. If you look at the polls, they've got to gain both parties. And, and I think what's crucial to the government's re-election strategy is Labour has got to gain a few percent, percentage points during the campaign. Uh, Labour has taken a big hit. Labour would have, in the last election, Labour got a, a chunk of the Labour vote where the people who, who have, Rory Quinn used to use a, a term from them, the people who basically are anti-establishment no matter what. Uh, they're not going to vote for the Labour Party anymore. Uh, Labour has got to sell its message. At 9 or 10%, they're in the game. If they pushed it up to one or two eleven 11%, they could come back with uh, a reasonable number of seats. And the fact that they've been written off for so long, the conventional wisdom has Labour been wiped out. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go with that. Labour have defied the odds in the past. Back in 1987, on 6% of the vote, they got 12 seats. I think if they if they could get 10 or 11, 12% of the vote, they could get you know, 15, 16 seats and would be uh, in with a real chance of being back in government again. Well, let's talk about the election. When do you expect it to be called? I think it'll be called fairly soon. I think it'll be called fairly soon after the budget. Uh, I November? expect it'll be in November, yeah. The, 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 the options are November or end of February, early March. And 20th of November seems to be a date mooted by a lot of people. Well, the, the, and it certainly won't be the 20th of November because uh, Ivan Yates was one of the people who mooted the 20th of November on the radio and Enda Kenny said he'd have a bet with Ivan Yates that it will not be that date. Uh, under any circumstances. Well, that seems like a logical way to run well, the country. Well, it's a logical way. Ivan, I, mean, it's, it's, I don't think Enda Kenny probably intended it on the 20th of November, but uh, Ivan Yates has specialised in slagging off Enda Kenny uh, on his radio programme. So I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if it's the 19th. Uh, or there's an argument. night on the 19th. Night, maybe, yeah. No, no, there's an argument for a Thursday rather than a Friday. There are all sorts of arguments. I, sus- I suspect it will be uh, in November. Uh, that's, I think the momentum is carrying the government there. I think. Uh, th- that's where Fianna Gael want to have the election then Labour are, are arguing for the spring um, but ultimately the Taoiseach has to make the call so I think he will go sooner rather than later That means the banking inquiry would fall The banking inquiry would, yeah Does anybody care? Well, I, it, it, not that much uh, the, I think the banking inquiry has been successful in the sense that it has we've had it out in the public domain all the, the main participants in the drama have given their evidence I don't think the inquiry can actually make findings 
of, of any great significance. We've had serious reports into the into, into the banking inquiry, the Nyberg report, and others. Uh, so I don't think it matters that much. Um, but it will be a negative. It will be thrown in the government's face if Enda Kenny does go for the election in, in November. Sure. Geoff Sherr, just in terms of our economic uh, recovery and in terms of stability, what would be the ideal outcome from the election? Well, that you have a government that will continue to pursue sensible policies into the future. Um, now, one of the things which I think will be important in the election campaign, and it's what has happened with the, in the previous campaigns, the last few, where the media um, ask politicians, um, have you costed your plans what you're going to do? And in a sense that uh, in other countries they do this in a more formal way, but holding parties to account, asking them the hard questions during the election campaign, which at the moment uh, there aren't manifestos to ask, that's going to be really important. And I think that people, um, uh, personally, um, I want uh, 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 policies which will uh, allow the economy to continue to recover. Sure, yeah, but there's every indication that the independents are going to do very well. Their support might be required for the next government, whether it's Fine Gael and Labour or whoever. Um, and independents have generally tended to extract a high price for their support, certainly with Fianna Fáil uh, in, in, in recent years. I mean, that's hardly good for the country. If, if you look back over the last 50 years in Ireland, the political system has, in times of crisis, delivered a, a, a solution through n- tacit cooperation between parties who hate each other. Um, in 87... Alan the, Jukes, um, uh, yeah, yeah, and also the government actually in 86 borrowed a load of money, hid it abroad, and made things look much worse going into the election, much bigger debt, and then suddenly the incoming government discovered this pot and were able to bring down interest rates. Similarly, Brian Lenehan um, put in place an adjustment programme which was deliverable, and he under-promised going into the last election, which made it, I won't say easy for the government to deliver, but it had a programme that was deliverable. In Spain, it was the opposite. The outgoing government raised the bar for Ahoy, um, the incoming government in 2012. He found it impossible to meet the targets. They roughly did what we did, but everybody said they were a failure because so that you've seen actually in times of crisis, um, the political system delivers a solution here, whereas in Greece, certainly it hasn't. And in Spain, there's a much more contention, um, which makes resolution difficult. And even on the independence, it depends. Rather than asking for a high price, actually, the independents have demanded a low price, mostly. Uh, if you look, Bertie Hearn's government was underpinned by four independents who got basically to announce uh, minor constituency uh, uh, developments, which were probably going to happen anyway. Mm. I think that's one of the things the government does. They, they'll allow the, the, the independent TD to announce uh, the, the road bypass, but it's already in, in, in the plans. Uh, so if they're non-ideological independents, there probably will be six or seven who, are, who would be well capable of uh, not demanding too high a price. Uh, there are others who would be demanding very significant uh, prices. So it, it, it depends on the numbers. Yeah, Arthur, um, the UK election uh, could be a good interesting barometer in this respect because it, it looked very much as if it was the Conservatives leading a coalition or Labour propped up by the SNP and actually voters at the very end decided they didn't fancy Labour propped up by the SNP and they gave the Conservatives a very small majority, much to the surprise of all the commentators. Well, uh, absolutely and I recall uh, speaking with you on the very evening of the result and uh, I, I got home sooner and uh, had the result and you, you were astonished and uh, as, as was everyone but I mean, J- David Cameron emerged with a majority, much to the surprise of people within the Tory party. Uh, the other interesting example in more recent days is the Portuguese election last Sunday. Now, what you had there was a government which had executed a bailout which essentially won the election in as much as it won the most seats. 
So uh, Passos Coelho will be uh, re-elected Prime Minister, but he is short of parliamentary majority and he's going to have to do a deal with the socialists on the other side. So, um, you know, while the Portuguese election shows us that it's possible for a Prime Minister who executed a bailout to uh, get back into power, uh, the question to be answered by Andy Kenny is as to whether he can go to the country and get re-elected with a majority in Parliament, uh, having executed what was a very, very tough adjustment programme. Stephen, uh, Michael Noonan in a media interview last weekend said he'd like another two years as Minister for Finance. Do you think he's going to get his wish? Well, I, if if the if Fine Gael are from the are the main party in the government, and it's hard to see how they won't be, no matter what configuration we have, uh, if if Labour do so badly, I, I think Fianna Fáil there's a, there's no desire on Fianna Fáil's part, I think, to go into coalition with Fine Gael at this stage in their in in, in their you know, recovery. Uh, but I think they would be some de- a desire to ensure there was stability, so there would be some arrangement. I think that they would abstain and they would for Taoiseach or something, uh, having initially defeated Enda Kenny probably. Uh, Michael Loon, I think, will remain as Minister of Finance. I think. I uh, think it, ha- it has been part of the success of this government, Michael Noonan, and to be fair, Brendan Howland as well. Brendan Howland, I think it's been essential actually to the government's success that a Labour minister was in charge of the public spending side uh, of, of the budget uh, and was able to deal with the unions uh, and, and really keep public spending under control. In, in the past, when Fine Gael and Labour were in government, you had a Fine Gael minister for finance fighting with the Labour Party ministers who were in the big spending departments. This time, was the Labour minister was able to impose the discipline. So I would think certainly that if, uh, and Kenny's teacher, Michael Noonan, will be a minister for finance and if Labour are in government uh, Brendan Howland will have the option I'd say of going back there or taking something else if he wants to be Minister Arthur you're dying to get in at this point Well it's an interesting there's a, there's a lot, lot of chatter going on at the moment this, this, this very week indeed uh, within both parties that, uh, that each of them would promote the Noonan-Howlin axis, as they are calling it, should the two parties get back into government, that those two individuals will be in command of the public finances. And there are two other elements here as well, because you have the capital plan last week, which essentially binds Labour and Fine Gael into a common programme for long-term investment. And we understand that in the budget, there will be an updated fiscal framework, as they call it, which will essentially set out the path for the public finances uh, for the next number of years. Now, it seems to me, even though Fine Gael and Labour will have different manifestos come election time, the two will be bound to that particular framework and it will be very difficult for either party to repudiate that framework when they go to the country only weeks, perhaps, after their budget. I think what you're saying about the medium-term fiscal plan is very important because it will be their election manifesto for the economy. But to what extent will it be the election manifesto for other other parties in that they will be putting in place, if the framework is done properly, then it should hold for whoever is in power, um, given the rules, given the constraints. Um, and it, it, it will be interesting to see whether people buy into the framework but say we would do it completely differently, which is open to parties. And it would make for a, a, an interesting debate where people ba- agreed on the basic framework as really happened at the last election, but said I would do things much differently and I have higher taxes or lower taxes or whatever. Well, then they would, you would essentially have an election in which all of the, all of the contestants are, are fighting over the same target. And Arthur, finally, just coming back to the budget, uh, the topic of uh, this week's podcast, um, if there was to be a surprise, what do you think it might be? Gosh. Uh, Given that so much seems to have been leaked already. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there are people around saying that the whole thing is out there. Uh, you'd have to think he's got to pull something out of his hat. Um, very, very difficult to say. Um, who knows, maybe something on the banks. 
Um, you know, I, I'm, you know I'm, I'm convinced by the notion of a bank levy, but that's not much of a surprise to people. That's not something that people can spend themselves. Any commentary on the AIB flotation? Or? Uh, I, think, uh, I think the signalling is, is pretty clear at this point. I think the flotation, uh, they will go ahead, they will seek to go ahead with it next year. Interestingly, I think if the election was in November, well, then they might very well try and do it uh, once they get going in the new, new year. At that point, the bank would be coming out of uh, you know, they would have full year results for 2015, which has been a pretty good year. The Irish economy all around to be a pretty good story to tell. If the election is later, the government, uh, the government, whichever government uh, takes power, would then have to uh, wait until perhaps the second half of next year because the market will be waiting for first half results from the bank before it goes to the market. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Arthur Beasley, John Fitzgerald and Stephen Collins for their contributions. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.